Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com. All right, you guys doing good? You guys are more lively than any of the other services. Because 8 o'clock was truly 7 o'clock. And 9.30 was 8.30. And so you guys are like, oh, you're slept in. You guys got your bean juice. That's coffee. That's what I call it. Um, You guys got your bean juice. You guys are feeling good. You guys are good to go. Um, Well, thank you guys for having me back. I'm always, always glad to be here. Glad to to be a part of of just being able to teach and be in this community and just see um, what God is doing through your pastors. Benji and Jen are incredible, and you guys are led so well. And so... um, yeah, they're, they're awesome. And so thank you guys for having me and welcoming me in. You guys have been in this series called Life to the Full. And, and I, I've been thinking about this series and I've been thinking about my own life. I've been thinking about um, people who I know in their life, but I've also been trying to think about your life. And I, I was trying to think, if we're really honest, we probably live life to the lack. If we're really honest, we're, we're probably living life grinding. And, and we're just trying to scrape by, you know, day by day. Um, maybe even you guys coming here today, you were like, yeah, we were just walking out the door and then, you know, the baby had a blowout and we had to deal with it. Um, or you were walking out the door and there was something that was frustrating you and all of a sudden there was an argument that, that, that happened. Um, or you're walking through some other things that are happening in life. You know, someone who has, has a sickness that, that seems incurable or you're trying to get this job and, and you're, you're just praying about it and you're just hoping and you're hoping that it will come through because when it comes through, that will mean uh, some, something for you. And so we, we kind of live in this tension of like, we know we should have life to the full, right? We, we know like there's something about what Jesus says that he says he offers us life, um, but we're not really experiencing that. We live the daily grind. We're trying to figure it out as we go. Um, what I love about the book of John is that he says, out of all of his, out of all the biographies about Jesus, the book of John, he says at the very end, John 20, 31, I write this that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that believing you may have life in his name. You may have life in his name. Don't we want that life? We wanna know what that life is. Um, so if you guys are note takers in here this morning, um, the, main, the main thing is going to be called more than enough. This is what this, this uh, sermon is going to be called, more than enough. The two main things I'm going to be hitting on is scarcity versus abundance. And then the second thing I'll be kind of tapping into will be enough actually isn't enough. Enough actually isn't enough. Um, but with that, as we're going to look at Jesus multiplying food, I feel like it's just fitting to talk about food. How many of you guys have had all you, all you can eat sushi? Literally, yeah, it's it, every, every service. It's been like, all of a sudden we're Pentecostal. We're like, mm, hey man, let's do this. All you can eat sushi. I love all you can eat sushi. And when I walk in there, I'm like, dude, I'm gonna put this place out of business. They're gonna be so sad they let me into the doors because they're gonna have to close their doors afterwards because I'm gonna eat so much sushi. I'm gonna eat so much sushi that they're gonna have to shut down business. I walk in there and the reality is, is when you go to all you can eat sushi, it's not about eating food or getting full. It's about winning, right? <laughs> I have to win. I have to walk out of here a winner. I have to eat more food. And you guys, we all do this. I know that I'm not just speaking to myself here. We all calculate how much we actually ate. You go through and you have like your, your phone out and you're like, okay, like $8 sushi roll there, $8 there. And all of a sudden you're like $200 of sushi. I only paid 25 and you're feeling really good about it, right? Except for the thing is you don't walk out feeling good, do you? 
You walk in feeling awesome. You're like, let's do this. Like, it's wartime. Let's go. And then you walk out, and it's victory, but victory feels like a waddle, you know? And if victory feels like a waddle, I don't know if I want it. Um, you can ask my wife. Literally, every time we go to All You Can Eat Sushi, we always leave, and I'm like, ah, let's not ever do this again. Because it's just like I, I eat it to the brim. As much as I even have capacity to fill, I fill it with All You Can Eat Sushi. And then more, more than that, um, I eat just too much. But ask me right now if I would go to All You Can Eat Sushi. Yeah. Who's game? Let's go tonight. We got one more service after this, like five o'clock, and then let's go. All you can eat sushi. I'm, I'm game. There's something about it that doesn't matter how full you get, even to your max capacity, there's something built into the very fiber of our beings, into who we are, that you will be hungry again. And I think that that's not just a physical thing that we experience that God has built into us. I think it's a spiritual reality as well. That no matter how full you get, you will always encounter and experience hunger. No matter how great of a day or how great a worship set you have or how awesome a message that Benji speaks, you'll, you'll walk away and there will still be something that you'll feel hungry again. That you can have a, this euphoric, ecstatic day and then the next day you know it, it could be a day that could be marked with, with sadness and trauma. And so we walk around um, life to the lack, life to the hungry. We, we, we walk around not with this life to the full. And so built into the fiber of who we are, we experience hunger. And I want you to think about that as I read this story. And I also feel an invitation for you that as I read this story, imagine yourself in the scene, um, in the Golan Heights area of Israel, Palestine, up on this grassy hill. Imagine what it's like if you're sitting in this crowd as Jesus performs this miracle. You guys can turn to John 6. <clears throat> Sometime after this, starting in verse one, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind where he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down, about 5,000 men. Now, side note, um, they were only counting the men, so it was actually probably somewhere more around 10 to 20,000 people. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. 
this beautiful story, um, probably a lot to unpack. And so for, in, in order for us to actually understand what's going on here, a bit of context. Um, John is only one of the biographies of Jesus. There's, there's three others, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in those biographies, we actually get some context of what they're walking into. Where are they coming from? So in, in a couple of the other biographies, um, it talks about how John the Baptist, Jesus's cousin, as well as fellow partner in ministry, friend, was just beheaded. And so you can imagine Jesus, his disciples, having a friend, having a family member just lose their life. They're gonna retreat away because they need to mourn. They need to process, they need to think. They're feeling the sense of lack. Okay, we need to just process this right now. And not only that, but Jesus, as he is recognizing now John the Baptist is beheaded, that that's just pointing to his impending future. Jesus knows, okay, then my time is coming. And so he has to go and process that well as well. Be with the Lord and, and say, okay, God, I, I'm ready. Or when am I ready? When is my time? When is my time to go up on that cross? And so they have to get away to process. In the other gospels, you also see that just before this, Jesus says, hey, I want you to do the stuff that I do. And so he takes his 12 apprentices and he sends them out and he says, don't take a tunic with you. Um, go into a home. If the home rejects you, just shake the dust off your sandals and keep going because you have a lot of work to do. And he says, you have all the power that I have. Go and do as I do. And so they go into the cities and they begin to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God that's here and now. They're healing people. They're releasing people from, de from demons. I mean, they're doing incredible ministry. But you guys know what it's like after a long day when you guys have, have just worked your tail off and then all of a sudden you're just exhausted whether good or bad. It could have been a bad day, it could have been a great day, but you're still like, okay, I'm gonna kick back and turn on Netflix. And I think that this is like their Netflix, right? They're just like, I wanna chill. And so we need to retreat. And so Jesus, in his kindness, his compassion, he's like, let's get away. Let's take a boat to the other side, away from the hustle. Let's go up on the hills and the Golan Heights and let's just rest. So you can imagine sitting there as one of the disciples, as you look up and 10 to 20,000 people start walking towards you. You're like, what? I tried to get away from you, right? All these people start showing up and rightfully so, the, the disciples, particularly Philip and Andrew, they're like, what are we gonna do? Jesus, we, what are we gonna do? One other thing, just to kind of set the, set the scene real quick, is that there's this throwaway comment, but it's not really a throwaway comment. Verse four, and if you guys caught it, it said, the Jewish Passover festival was near. It's not a throwaway comment. It actually frames this entire, this entire conversation, this entire miracle. Um, D.A. Carson, he, he's one of the commentators on the book of John, and he says that this is more, chronolog or more theological than chronological. And so what he's saying is John, as a good author, is giving us a narratival arc. He's trying to connect us to the storyline of what's happening. And so as you read this and you see that the Jewish um, Passover festival was near, it clues you into the first Passover festival or the first Passover that happened in Exodus when, when God with, with might takes his people, his people out of Egypt and slavery and shows signs and wonders and brings them through the wilderness, provides for their every need, takes them every step of the way and brings them to the promised land. So they're expecting a prophet like Moses who's gonna do the same thing, who's gonna bring them out with might and who's gonna provide for their every need. They're expecting a kingly-like figure who's gonna wield a sword and is gonna come in and conquer over the Roman oppressors that they currently have. This is the expectation. 
And then it also clues us into the other two Passovers that happen within the book of John. The first one being um, Jesus cleansing the temple. And so Jesus, during that time, he's having compassion and he's saying, why are you turning my temple into a trade market um, that was in the court of the Gentiles? And so in compassion for inclus- including the Gentiles, he, he cleanses it. But then he also says this, he says, tear this temple down and I'll rebuild it in three days. Talking about his death and resurrection, the first Passover. And the final Passover, when he's high and lifted up on a cross as the lamb who is slain, alluding back to the first Passover. And so this Passover has something to do with that. So as we read this story, Jesus multiplying the fish and the loaves, we have to also have in our mind, how is this connecting to the Passover narrative? And so this is what John is cluing us into. And and so what we see um, in in this is that we see there's a contrast between the two people. There's Jesus and there's the disciples, right? They're retreating because they're exhausted. They're retreating because they've just done a lot of ministry. They're retreating because they're mourning and they're squeezed. And there's something that's different about what they're filled with. How do you know what, what some, uh, how do you know if a sponge is filled with something? You squeeze it to see what's in it. And so as the disciples are squeezed, what comes out of them? Lack, fear, frustration. When we're squeezed, when you've got the blowout, when you didn't get the job, when the cancer's not leaving, what comes out of us? Fear, doubt, lack. When Jesus is squeezed, what comes out of him? But abundance, overflow, and blessing. Well, I want to be like Jesus. And so we have to wonder, what are we filling ourselves with? And this is what this, this miracle is talking about. What are you going to fill yourself with? The bread that is going to spoil or the bread of life? Jesus is able to be squeezed and blessing comes out of him because he's been filling himself with the presence of God. If we want to be squeezed and have overflow and blessing come out of us, how are we being filled with the presence and the goodness of God? And this is what this is pointing us to. So, um, the Passover, it was the, it was the 4th of July uh, for the Jews, but even better, right? Like for us, like in the area that we're at, where we live, my wife and I, um, you can have fireworks just all around. Is that, can you guys do that here? No, sketchy, it's sketchy. It's like a war zone, right? You're driving and you're like, am I getting bombed right now? Um, and it happens like even beyond and before 4th of July. It's so annoying because we're just trying to like watch TV and all of a sudden like fireworks are going off and it's like, it's the 3rd of July, stop it, you know? Um, it happens for days. And actually the Jewish festival, the Passover festival happened for days. And it was a celebration, but it was this time where they would look back at the bitterness of what happened in, in, in Egypt, but then look forward to, to, the, um, to the redemption of God when he pulls his people out of Egypt and then his provision. And so this is what they're expecting. They're expecting a prophet like Moses. And so this is what they, this is what they think, but their vision of who Jesus is, is off. Their vision is skewed. Because their vision is, is wartime rhetoric. Their vision is of a liberating king who's gonna wield a sword, raise up a coup, and he's gonna overthrow Rome. Their vision of who Jesus was, their expectations of Jesus were off. And Jesus, to this point, disappoints. You guys ever been disappointed by Jesus? All the time. Because what is disappointment? Except for unmet expectations. 
And so when we're disappointed, something about Jesus didn't meet our expectations of him. Something about what he did or did not do didn't match with what we thought that he was going to do. And so this, this is disappointing because Jesus isn't gonna come in wielding a sword. His kingdom isn't one of power and might. His kingdom is one of compassion. His kingdom is one of what Benji talked about a couple weeks ago, John 3.16, God so loved the world. His kingdom is love for who? Everybody. Not just exclusivity, but inclusivity. It's, it's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom of mercy and kindness. Romans 2.4 says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's a kingdom of mercy and kindness. And ultimately, it's a kingdom where the king himself takes the sword upon himself rather than wielding the sword. It's a kingdom much like that. And this is how he operates out of abundance. He recognizes a different kingdom. And so the first point that I kind of pointed out, we're gonna talk about the scarcity mindset versus abundance. The scarcity mindset versus abundance. If you guys notice, Jesus goes to Philip and he says, hey, Philip, where are we gonna get enough food? And he's testing Philip. Doesn't that kind of seem messed up to any of you guys? We're like, bro, like you knew what he was gonna do. Like, why did you do that? Um, for one, Jesus does have a sense of humor. Um, I love that about Jesus. But, but for this, this is actually pointing to what rabbis would do with their apprentices. So what a rabbi would do, um, like even like Rabbi Galil and, and all these different, different rabbis of the day, um, they would ask a leading question to their apprentice. And depending on how their apprentice would answer it, that rabbi then would know what part of the journey is their apprentice on. It's not like a pass or fail. It's not like a Philip, you answered wrong. You're out of the clan. Like you're out of the 12. Go get your own, get, get a different rabbi. Like this is what Jesus is doing. He's testing him by saying, how much of what you've seen you just did incredible ministry. You just saw people healed. How much of what you've seen, how much of you spending now two years with me has sunk into your being? And so he's asking him, hey, where are you at in your apprenticeship to me? And, and, and it shows because Philip's like, hey, yo, Jesus, I've seen the budget, bro. It's not looking good. There's a lot of people and I don't think we can feed them. He's operating out of this scarcity mindset and Jesus is, he's like, that's cute, Philip. Have the people sit down, which in that time is, is how you'd prepare for a meal. You'd say, hey, have a seat, much like what we do. Have a seat. They were preparing for a meal. Um, you see this with Andrew. Andrew says, we've got small loaves, small fish, emphasis on the small, right? See, Andrew and Philip, they're operating out of this scarcity mindset. Um, Dr. Brene Brown, she wrote this book called Daring Greatly. If you haven't read it, um, it's a great book. I recommend it. But it says this, scarcity is the never enough problem. Scarcity thrives in a culture where everyone is hyper aware of lack. Everything from safety and love to money and resources feels restricted or lacking. We spend inordinate amounts of time calculating how much we have, want, and don't have, and how much everyone else has, needs, and wants. This is prophetic for us. In a highly critical, scarcity-based world, everyone's afraid to fail. As long as we're afraid to fail, we will never come up with the big, bold ideas we need to solve these problems. See, for some reason, Jesus is operating from a different disposition. We're operating from this scarcity mindset. I don't know if we'll have enough. And we've all said that. We've all asked that question. We've all said, God, I don't know, man. And you're asking me to love my enemies? I can't even love my loved ones. God, I, I, I'm coming home from a long day of work. I'm exhausted. Now I gotta be present? 
God, you, you want me to give of my finance to bless other people? Well, what about mine? What about my savings? What about my retirement? What about me eating out? What about all you can eat sushi? <laughs> what, what then, God? Right? <laughs> we operate from the scarcity mindset. Now, here's the thing. Scarcity doesn't have to do with the amount of resources because let's be honest, there are people who have plenty of resources that live with the same mindset. It has nothing to do with how much you have. There's a story of Jesus talking about this woman who, who gives her two coins and it was all that she had. And he looks and he says, she's given more than you out of your abundance. She didn't have a scarcity mindset. She lived from abundance. How do we do that? And yet we so often live from a scarcity mindset. Scarcity mindset has to do with our relationship to our resources. How tight are we holding on to them? Because how much do we think that they're actually ours, not God's? And so this is the scarcity mindset. Jesus is operating from different disposition. He realizes God can do whatever he wants to do. So let's let God be God. And let's, sit off, let's take a step off the throne. Um, Jesus then thanks God. He thanks God and he blesses the food, right? Um, how many of you guys pray before a meal? Yeah, I do too. Um, no shade if you, if you do or don't. Um, but I, I love, I get to work with sixth graders and, and uh, you can tell the sixth graders who have parents um, who are like, okay, we're gonna pray for the meal. Like, can you pray? And so the sixth grader just gets in the routine and they just pray for the meal. So um, we're in a life group, right? Just like a bunch of sixth graders sitting around a table. There's no food at all. Um, and I'm like, hey, Andrew, like, would you mind praying for our life group? And like, like clockwork, Andrew's like, God, thank you for this food. Would you bless it, help it nourish our bodies and let this be a good group. Amen. I'm like, it's beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for blessing the food. Um, I think that we bring this into the text, though, we, 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 because we get into that, that routine. Um, I get in that routine. When, when we pray before we eat a meal, it's, God, thank you for this food that you've blessed us with. Would you help us nourish my body? And it's a good prayer. God even invites us to pray for our daily bread. He invites us to pray, for that, pray that way. But this is, uh, most scholars don't actually think that this is what's, what's going on here. Um, it, most scholars believe that Jesus isn't blessing the food so that it multiplies. Um, they, he, they, they actually don't even think that he's blessing God for the miracle he's about to do. Most scholars look at this and they say, no, 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 Jesus is blessing God and thanking God for the little that they have. They're saying, God, thank you for these small loaves. Thank you for these small fish. Now let's disperse. I think sometimes we're like, well, God, I'll thank you once you divide and once you do the miracle. Um, and, and the reality is, is gratitude with little gives way for abundance. Gratitude with little gives way for abundance. Um, the word here for, for thanks or, or blessed when he, when he gave thanks was Eucharisto, um, which in, in a couple different traditions, it's the Eucharist, right? It's the Lord's Supper. It's what we do when we do communion. And so most people believe that um, as, as Jesus is doing this, they're, they're realizing, oh, he's tying into the Passover. He's tying into the Lord's Supper. He's tying into this is his body that's broken, his blood that's poured out, which is true in all the other gospels, including this one. But Jesus uh, or John is actually not trying to emphasize that Jesus is, is tying it to the Lord's Supper. He's trying to emphasize more of the lavish nature of it. He's trying to emphasize what you see in, in 12 and 13, when they all had enough to eat, 
Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. It's a more than enough miracle. It's a more than enough miracle. Because the reality is that we recognize that enough is actually never enough. Because we can have enough, but we quickly realize that we need more. And that enough becomes not enough, so we need more. And this is a God of more than enough. The miracle he performs is more than enough. And they clue into this. They're like, oh, wow, there's, there's a lot here. This is reminding me of the prophet, like Moses, who's to come. And so they say, this surely is the prophet who's gonna come. They rightfully say that. And then they quickly jump, if you notice in verse 15, they quickly jump from prophet who's to come to let's force him to be king. They started following him because he's healing the sick. And now he's multiplying food. So what's gonna stop them from being like, yeah, you can take over Rome. You can be our king. Let's force you into it. Um, how many of you guys remember homecoming or prom? Some of you guys are like, I don't want to remember. <laughs> Those bad times. Um, you know, most schools, like mine, you've got people who, who like, you know they're going to be like the future like ad agency owners, right? Because they're already starting to market themselves really well. And so they've like got the posters are hanging up all around the school. And, uh, and it's like, vote Susie for prom queen. Um, and you're like, oh, sweet. And then they've got like their Instagram campaign. They got their friends, you know, like, hey, vote Susie for prom queen. And like everyone's adding, like advertising themselves. And now they're doing TikTok and they're like doing dances. Vote Susie for prom queen. And they do a sick dance with it. And you're like, okay, like most people are trying to force their way to be king or queen. Most people are fighting to get in that position. Uh, all of the Netflix originals right now with a king or queen, they're forcing their way in. They're, they're, they're trying to take it over with might and power. And yet in this, Jesus knows that they want him to be king and he retreats. It's a very different kind of king. But this is what I can't shake. Is how do you force someone to be king? Right, can you just say no? Sit on the throne. No. Right, like you, just, you just say no. So I've been wrestling with this this whole week of how, how do you, Jesus, how are they gonna try to force you to be king? And I realized that they, they succeeded. But Jesus knew that it wasn't this Passover, but the next Passover where they were gonna force him to be king. What does it look like for them to force him to be king except throwing a crown of thorns on his head, a purple robe on his back, raising him high and lifted up and putting a sign over the cross that says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. They successfully made him king. He retreated because he knew it wasn't his time yet. But he knew that that was the goal. Because notice what their expectations of king was. Their expectation was, well, if you're my king, you're gonna do my agendas. Don't we tell Jesus that all the time? Jesus, you gotta do what I want you to do. If you're gonna be king, then you have to go where I want you to go. If you're gonna be king, it's gonna look like this. My enemies are your enemies. Now take them out, Jesus. Jesus, if you're king, then you're gonna provide all of these finances. Jesus, if you're king, you're gonna provide healing. Jesus, if you're king, then you're gonna fill in the blank for whatever the situation is for you. We have expectations of what Jesus being king is gonna be. They had expectations that Jesus was gonna look like a certain way. And he said, I'm gonna let you make me king. And I'm gonna take your missed expectations, your low expectations of who a king is. I'm gonna let you take the king that you want and nail him to a cross and kill him. 
He needs to die. I think that's just for this morning. Um, your expectations of who Jesus is and who he needs to be, the king that, that we're trying to make him to be, let's nail him to the cross because that's the bread that spoils. Our expectations, our ideas, our, our, our daily bread that, that's never gonna satisfy us, we're gonna be hungry again, that's the bread that spoils. And Jesus says, no, no, no I'm gonna resurrect on the third day and I'm gonna be bread that's eternal. Bread that never spoils, but bread that leads to eternal life. So Jesus knew that they wanted to make him king. And so he retreats because eventually they were going to. Uh, turn with me to, to verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you got a free lunch. Do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, well, what sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who gave you the, um, who gave you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Let this be our prayer. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry and whoever believes in me will never grow thirsty. I love this. He's saying, don't work for food that spoils. Don't, don't just get, for that, get that thing that, that's not gonna satisfy you and you're gonna be hungry again. Don't go for that thing, those missed expectations and put all of your hope in that. Don't go for that bread. Go for the bread that leads to eternal life. And then right here, he says, guess who that bread is? It's me. This is the first of, of the seven I am statements where Jesus identifies with, um, with God himself. And in this one, he says, I'm the bread of life. I am your nourishments. I am your sustenance. Fill yourself with me. Fill yourself with my presence. Unlike these things that you're trying to fill yourself with that won't satisfy you. And when you squeeze, what's gonna come out of you is scarcity. Fill yourself with me who's abundance. And when you're squeezed, abundance and, and fulfillment and joy and all of that will flow out of you. Fill yourself with me and notice how they didn't get it. My friend Ben, um, he said this, they, they turned God of the universe into a lunch lady. How many of you guys have a good view of a lunch lady? I like, I, I think every time I see a lunch lady in like a movie, it's always like this grungy old lady slopping like sloppy joes on there. And it's never a good scene. I always also picture Roz from Monsters, Inc. You know what I'm talking about? Like the old lady is like, Mike Wazowski. I always picture her. She, she never was a lunch lady, but that's my image of a lunch lady. It's like this grungy, like not pleasant person. And, and, and if I think of it, I'm like, that's what we do to God. God, I'm hungry. Feed me. God, I need you to come through in this situation. Do it. God, here's my enemy. Get him. And not all of those things are bad. You should pray. If you want healing, pray for it. If you need your daily bread, pray for it. But there's something about God, something about this bread, the bread of life, that will actually sustain us even through lack. We're praying to avoid lack. 
And God's like, no, you will experience lack. I give you bread that'll take you through it. I give you bread that'll sustain a cross and resurrect on the other end. And so there's something about Jesus that he's saying, feast on me, feast on my presence and I'll take you through any situation. And even if you don't get what you're praying for, even if you don't get the blessings that you're looking for, even if the healing doesn't come, even if that job opportunity doesn't come through, you can walk through it with life to the full. Not life to the lack, like so many of us are walking through. C.S. Lewis has a quote on what our desires actually look like. Because the reality is, is our desire of Jesus isn't too high. We're making him too low. So it says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. So I'll ever ask you again, have you guys ever been disappointed by God? Good. Because if we weren't disappointed by God, if he kept giving them the miracle of bread from heaven, like notice that. When they said, hey, what sign do you have? They're asking for more lunch. Notice Jesus didn't give it to them. You guys ever feel like you're like, God, why didn't you give it to me? I think the beauty of this is that he doesn't give them more bread because he doesn't want them to settle for that low view of him that they have. They don't want him to settle for for him as a lunch lady. He wants to be the bread of life. And so they would settle. He says, your desires are too weak. You need to elevate it and realize I have something for you that will take you through anything, but you're just trying to avoid we have a spiritual disposition towards dissatisfaction. Spiritually, we're always dissatisfied. It's a spiritual disposition. We're, we're discontent. And Jesus is gonna disappoint us. But again, if we let it, dis- disappointment with God can be a blessing. Our disappointment can be a blessing because it will be the beginning of a mature reliance on the true bread. So let me ask you, are you guys hungry this morning? If you're hungry, let's feast on the true bread Let's not settle for anything less than what God wants to offer. One more C.S. Lewis quote, because he's a boss. I love him. Most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never quite keep their promise. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Lewis continues, probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand, never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. It's exactly this miracle. Jesus is like, I'm gonna feed you, but not that you can look for the gluten, but you can realize I'm God. And he doesn't want us to settle for the gluten, which in it's 2020, we don't like gluten anyways. All right, we're not for that. Very against gluten. He's like, don't settle for it. I don't want you to settle for the gluten. I love this story in John 4. It's the story, if you're not familiar with it, uh, of the Samaritan woman um, at the well. And uh, Jesus, he goes through Samaria, says he had to 
filled with the Holy Spirit. He's going where God's leading him. He goes to Samaria and he finds this woman who's just sitting at the well midday. And she's there midday because she's, she's got a past. She's got a history and a reputation. So she doesn't want to be seen by people. So she goes midday and, and Jesus looks at her. It's not okay for a Jewish person, particularly even a man, to be talking to a woman, and particularly a Samaritan woman. He does it. He gives her compassion. He gives her worth and dignity, and he speaks to her. And what I love is, is that in that moment, he's starting to satisfy this deeper need that she has, and she's there to get physical water, and he says, I have living water for you. You're gonna drink this water and be thirsty again, but if you drink the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. And what I love most about this story is this line where it says she left her bucket behind and she ran and told everybody. Wasn't she thirsty? Yes, but in that moment, she forgot that she had this physical thirst because in that moment, she found the one that was her deepest thirst, her deepest craving. And I believe that this was actually supposed to happen during this miracle. Jesus gave them food and they were supposed to not look at the food and be like, wow, thank you, I'm now full. It's supposed to be like, how can I feast on you? How can I not just see this bread as bread, but how can I look at the giver of the gift? How can I spend time with Jesus and let him be who he truly is, the bread of life? Because right? again, we know that enough is never enough because enough soon is is not enough and so we need the God of more than enough. Do you believe that God wants to give you more than enough? That God wants to pour abundance into you through his Holy Spirit, through his presence. He wants you to be filled with abundance so that when you go through trials, when you go through pain, when you go through difficulty, no matter what you go through, God can ride you through that. That's life to the full. In order to get to life to the full though, we have to recognize that we have life of hunger. We have to realize that we live a life of lack. And so we need to say, God, we want life of the full. Can we be like Philip and like Andrew and take the little that we have? And even though we have missed expectations of Jesus, can we bring it to him? Because when we bring it to him, what does he do? He multiplies. He performs the miracle. So I don't know where you are with your expectations of who Jesus is or, or, or where you feel like maybe you're feeling squeezed and you're seeing um, anxiety pour out of you. You're seeing frustration pour out of you. You're seeing anger pour out of you. You're feeling yourself squeezed and you're not seeing blessing come out of you. And you're like, I want that. I wanna be like Jesus. I wanna be able to ride through trials and have life to the full. And so I go back to the very beginning of wherever you sit on this grassy hill, you might get full from bread that spoils, but it will never satisfy so my invitation is don't leave this grassy hill, this metaphorical grassy hill, without having feasted on the one who can satisfy. Let's spend time in the presence of God. I invite the worship team to come on up. And um, there's only one way that's fitting for us to end this service, and that's with communion. With Passover looming in the background, there's the recognition that this miracle is pointing to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. There's a recognition that Jesus is the bread of life. And this bread that we're about to take, you'll eat it and you won't even get full because <laughs> it's just a small piece. But you'll get hungry again because this is, this is bread that spoils. But let this, like the sign of Jesus multiplying the bread, it was a sign that pointed to the bread that they needed. Would you eat this and let this be a sign that points us to the one 
who can actually satisfy our deepest needs. And there's no other sign that's actually more fitting because how are these elements made? Bread through yeast being baked at such a high temperature and through wine or juice being made by a grape being crushed. These elements point directly to us making Jesus king. And so can we let our expectations, can we let the food that spoils, can we let the things that we're putting our hope in that isn't Jesus die on that cross? And can we put our faith, can we get filled with the one who resurrects, who is the bread that endures forever? Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, we need you to to truly be the one that fills us. Um, Because the recognition is we can, I think the reason why we fill ourselves with other things is because it's easier. At least it feels easier. It feels like something that we can do. I even just think of the line in this story where, where they said, well, tell us the works that we need to do to do works of God. And you just said the works are to believe. There's actually nothing more that we can do except for just to have faith in you and to, to receive from you. And so God, would this be a moment where we open our hearts and we say, God, we need you to fill us. We need the true bread of life, the life that's eternal, not the life or the bread that spoils. So Jesus, in this moment, would you fill us? Would you satisfy our deepest desires? God, would we take all our expectations and hang those on a cross? Because Jesus, as we see the cross, you see an empty tomb. We love you. We praise your name. Amen. Thanks for joining us here on the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit us at lightsandiego.com.